All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckadelics? What the fucking avians? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my show, WTF. Welcome to it. How are you? Today on the show, uh, Joseph Arthur, uh, the musician, songwriter, and painter, and artist, and of all of things. I don't know where I met Joseph, but I think I got a record of his from somewhere. He did this tribute record to Lou Reed that I really liked. You know, and then I listened to some of his other music and I was like, this is interesting. And I somehow we were in touch with each other on Twitter or something. I, I didn't really know who he was, but like he, you know, he was a fan of this show and I became a fan of his music. And uh, it was a great, great conversation. I just liked the guy and I like his work and he does his own thing and he's been out there a long time. And uh, it, it was it was a surprise. Also on the show today, Peter Biebergall. He uh, wrote a book called uh, Season of the Witch, How the Occult Saved Rock and Roll. And I just kept looking at the book. I got a lot of books. I kept seeing it sitting over there. So, you know, that's all. I'm going to do a little one with him and then Joe Arthur. Uh, So it's kind of a nice uh, Monday Labor Day show. Okay? So you relax. You relax, you people. Look, I talked to you the other day about this opportunity I got to be on this television show on Netflix called Glow, a starring role. And I'm excited about it. There's no reason I shouldn't be excited about it. But I'm there's some part of me that underplays a lot of things. And also, like, I didn't it wasn't easy for me to cancel shows. I don't like to cancel shows. It 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 bothers me. I don't like to be disappointed. Why would I think anyone else would like to be disappointed? I don't expect that you'll be horrendously angry at me. I did reschedule all the shows, but there was part of me. It's just this is an interesting thing. I'm trying to explore this because I want to stay honest around this shit so I can share it with you. Just about you, what I'm going through, and 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 maybe somebody can relate to it. Like for instance. I did not feel good canceling shows. I made sure we did not cancel any of them outright and we rescheduled them all. I'm sorry if the time frame didn't work for some of you, but, and I also understand again that I would be disappointed as well, but it was not an easy decision. I knew I had to take the role because that's a once in a lifetime thing. And uh, as far as I know, I only got one lifetime and I'm very excited about it, but I do know that I had to make a decision that would disappoint some people. But it was it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It was easy to the degree that I knew what I had to do. But that doesn't make it easy sitting inside of me. A couple people were disappointed. I saw that on Twitter. Understand that. Then there were these two people on who sent emails through the site. One was crazy, just like "fuck you," "I'm done with you." You know, I was looking forward to seeing you. Now you're just, I thought you were better. And now you're just a narcissistic ass. You always were. And I'm done with you. I'm I'm, I'm erasing you from my mind and life and blah, blah. Just like, just an attack. Now, clearly, those were some deeper issues at play. But it did hit that one part of me. That part of me that's sort of like, oh, see, I, I upset somebody. Yeah, even though in my mind, I know like no one should be that upset. And, you know, I can live without her if, if that's her decision that, you know, to be like, you know, fuck you, I'm done. Okay. Okay. 
There's nothing I can do about it. It's hard for me to, to hold that boundary, to have that detachment, even with this kind of shit. Maybe I'm too sensitive. That's why I guess I shouldn't be that sensitive, but the point being, then there was another uh, another email from a woman. These are the only two, that, that were really the only two emails about this. And this other woman, she just went on and on about how much she admired me, how great it was, and you know how much she's been loyal to me as a fan, and and like you know, very impressed with me. And then at the end, you know, because I made this decision to take a lead role in a television show that would was something I really wanted to do and could change my life, and it was an exciting opportunity once in a lifetime. Because I did that, now whatever feeling she has about me, which leading up to this were, were very grand and nice and supportive would be will be permanently tainted like a, like a drop of Clorox in good coffee she said you know again th- those are her issues i don't have to but my point is it triggered the part of me that felt bad for canceling and then i was like oh god damn them why you know why would they be like this and then i realized like it's deeper than that you know no matter what your decision you kind of want your parents would go like, it's okay, baby. It's a good decision. You you know, you're doing the right thing. It's okay. Good for you. And even when you make a shitty decision, you want people to go like, yeah, that was terrible. And, and uh, you know, I would be mad, but I'm not. You just want this weird, unconditional support and love. And that's just not the way life works. But I, you know, I realize that myself, that I fight with that, that, you know, and that's just something you got to accept. Sometimes you got to make these decisions and God knows there was no one's life hanging in the balance, but some people are going to be disappointed. They didn't need to be abusive, you know, and I'm sort of an easy mark sometimes. And it's weird to have a personality that is sort of as seemingly aggressive as mine and somewhat defined uh, in that way that, you know, I would be. Yeah, I don't know if it's people pleasing, but I certainly am pretty diplomatic and I'd rather there not be trouble if that's possible. Could there not be trouble? And look, I, I again, I'm sorry I had to reschedule, but I had to reschedule. It's just life is like that sometimes. And I know some I know as many of you who have been with me a long time and are my fans who are excited about my success. Uh, I think there's a few people out there that are excited about it, but somehow feel abandoned. I'm not going anywhere. And there's still some part of me inside that is definitely not succeeding. Does that make you feel better? See how diplomatic I am? There's something inside of me that will never be successful. Does that, is that, does that help? Does that help? So here's how I, Peter Biebergall, uh, got on the show kind of he sent me his book he was i think we were in touch on email and he thought i'd really like the book it was uh called uh season of the witch how the occult saved rock and roll and i liked the cover i had it in hardback sitting around and i had it in paperback sitting around and then finally i took a look at it and it was sort of a, a memoir slash kind of uh ba- basic investigation into the mystical uh kind of witchy elements of rock and roll but it was also a lot about about peter himself and i liked the guy and then he happened to be coming to la so i said all right let's do it come over so this is uh this is me and peter having a little chat about uh, his book uh season of the witch how the occult saved rock and roll <laughs> You sent me your book, and I think you sent it in paper or hardback, then paperback. I did send it twice, and uh, you were like, "This, this is a book for you." 
And I kept looking at the book, and then I read some of the book, Season of the Witch, How the Occult Saved Rock and Roll, and your persistence, which is a key element to ritual. That's right. Repetition. The, the, uh, the repetitive nature of your requests to be on my show worked magic, Peter. How did that happen? How did it happen? You just kept bothering me. I kept seeing the book. I believed you that it would be something I'm interested in because, you know, I go back with the uh, the mystical thinking. I didn't realize uh, at the time when you sent it to me that you're, you're somewhat of an academic and your approach is thorough. It's not some weird scattershot personal history. I tried. Yeah, get up closer to the mic. It's very easy to uh, turn that kind of stuff into either completely skeptical to the point of dismissing everything or believing it's there's a there's an occult conspiracy behind the whole record well i I think that the way you approached it which i think is reasonable is that you know that the the bottom line is is that ritual magic has always existed right it has existed in in any time there have been humans and groups and communities some form of ritual magic or some sort of um transference onto uh to gods to entities to objects in order to try to find some uh, magical consistency in life has always existed. Yep. And sometimes it's just enough because it inspires musicians to want to do something interesting with their music. Most of the time, a lot of what we thought was happening was what the media or the fans imposed on it. And the bands love that, you know, ate it up. Yeah, because it's an image thing. But I like how you start the book by really, you know, seeking out the source points of rock and roll, which is blues, which goes back to Africa, and there's a several there's a there's nice uh, bit of writing about the the history of those religions that uh, came up through Africa on into New Orleans, and then how the religions that became Christianized still maintained some of the mythology and talisman and uh, even uh, uh, rhythmic elements yep. of old music, and that was really there was a mystical element to the the foundation of rock and roll but that even that especially with the early slave spirituals is they had to do it in secret because they knew that the slave owners didn't want those elements which they saw as barbaric as satanic to be part of that christian worship so even though the slaves accepted the christian salvation story because it meant liberation from their awful plight right they still had to incorporate these old, uh, it was just, it was a part of their DNA. Yeah. Right? So then that becomes what I think is pop music's first rebellious moment. Yeah. Right? And it's a spiritual rebellion. It's saying, okay, we get your Christianity, but we still have to worship our own way. Right. right? And that comes up through, uh, y- you know, the, the, the first um, rock and roll recordings. And also what was considered black music at the time. And there was something, there was an element of black culture that was mystifying and magical and somewhat evil to white culture. Uh, it still is in some That's areas. Right. Yeah. But the music was coming up mostly through black performers. That's right. There's actually, there's also a really interesting moment. I couldn't find the actual source, but there was a early Pentecostal minister um, at the beginning of the Pentecostal movement who wanted, who felt that his congregation just didn't have any energy in their prayer it was very staid and yeah. white you know right. yeah and he said come on we can't let the devil keep all this good rhythm yeah he was talking about yeah the black church right. <laughs> right right so they brought in the gospel you know that the yelling and the speaking in tongues and 
and all of that stuff. So that's stuff, what shifted that. That's what shifted that. And El- that was the church that Elvis was brought up in, the Assembly Church of God. Yeah. So he's criticized later by his own church, and he says, but I learned it from you. Right. So let's talk about the evolution of this, because you're approaching the occult presence in rock and roll, which, well, some of it has... Uh, foundation. There was some. When did we, you know, after the blues, after early rock and roll, after Little Richard? Where do we go? Where Where does it start becoming a a, a part of rock and roll? Well, LSD. Okay. Right. So, you have um, these bands, you know, especially from England, that are returning to. Wait, wait, wait one before we do this. Yeah. The Crossroads is the great mythological. That's right. Uh, uh, Sell soul of the to the devil. And you were able to track that. The, you know yeah. what the possibility and what the what the what what that myth w- came from. That's right. So it's there's a couple of deities, mm-hmm. African Yoruban deities, Legba and Ishu, and these are not they're not the devil, but they're yeah. trickster. Right. And that's key. Right. Yeah. They're trickster deities. Yeah. And they're they're the, in all the all the uh, many religions, the trickster, like the fox, yeah, Hermes, yeah. These are the coyote. Mes- that's right. These are the messengers. These are how you talk to the gods. It's through these messenger spirits. The, and the trickster is uh, kind of duplicitous. Yep. Uh, sometimes a joker. That's right. Uh, sometimes a, a, a player of the of uh, of, uh, of pranks. Yep. That's right. And uh, misleading. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's easy to see those horns on its head, right, mm-hmm. and transfer that to this is the devil. Right, so that's how that happened. That's how the the myth was Christianized in a way, and then mythologized through blues music. That's right. So now these gods, Ishu Legba, become the devil at the crossroads. But mm. bef- prior to that, this was just an essential part of the African and Yoruban mythology. So Robert Johnson didn't sell his soul to the devil. No. Uh, well, it even turns out maybe wasn't even Robert Johnson and all that that story came from. Who was it? It is another fellow, Tommy Johnson. Yeah. And it was, he had this sort of ghostly voice, falsetto. Yeah, Robert used that too. Yeah, and so they said that he and his brother had this idea to sort of perpetuate this story. Skip James yeah. had the falsetto too. Yes. So you have this, this anything in music that felt otherworldly. So they, did, you're so, so they did it on purpose. Yes. So there you go. There's your beginning. That's right. Exactly, because it creates a mythology. So right. all of rock, right, is about the creating of these mythologies. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, part of my growing up was about interacting with that math- mythology through record, co- the album covers. What's next, the Beatles? The Beatles, right. Paul is dead. Paul Why has he got no shoes on? He's got no shoes on because you don't bury somebody with their shoes on. That's what I heard. Then there was If... 34, is that what the license yep. plate said? He yep. would have been 34 right. if he hadn't died. Right, what about that right. guy who was standing there? Oh, the undertaker, Yeah, right? oh, right, right. okay. <laughs> so my brother, mm-hmm. older than me, seven years older than me, he would play Revolution 9 for me. Oh, boy. I was six, seven years old, and I was terrified. But Number nine? Number nine. Number nine. He played it backwards, turned me on dead man. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I buried Paul. That's one of that was that. But I buried Paul. <laughs> oh, that's at the end the of wall. Strawberry Field. Oh, that's right. In that weird musical part where, if you don't speed it up, it's like it sounds like I'm very bored. <laughs> but if you speed it up, it's I buried Paul. It's clear as day. Yep, perfect. Yeah. So my brother would play this for me. Yeah, and I was terrified of it. But then when he wasn't home, I would play it all by myself. You know, and then again, you had a little, little bit later. Add a little Dungeons and Dragons to that. 
To that one? Well, just to the whole thing of listening. No, I to get these it, but like those, and, that, those you know? seemed like those seemed like rumors and myths built around the Beatles. It wasn't necessarily the occult. It doesn't seem like the occult bands, you know, happened a little later, right? No, but it has to be something underneath that is something that's very um, something otherworldly has to be going on. How could Paul both be dead, yeah, but be able to be part of right. this story of his death. I get it. Right? Okay. This kind of a like a necromancy yeah. of some kind okay. of play. Right. Right. And you and a, and alongside that is their interest in Eastern mysticism. Mm-hmm. So all of this, especially at that part of the sixties, was all getting mixed up into this stew. Mm-hmm. Right. You get the weirdness of the mythology of the band's lives themselves. Yeah. Then you have their own interest in Eastern mysticism. Mm-hmm. Them taking LSD mm-hmm. is 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 um, Lucy in the sky about it or isn't it about it? Yeah, you know, tongue and then there's always under their breath. It's not about it yeah. while he drops the acid, right? Right, <laughs> you know, right. So you have all this. This is this stew. Yeah, and the the counterculture is hungry for it because the war doesn't want to end. Right, their parents' church isn't giving them anything. Yeah, and, and right. all of it, it's just blowing your minds. There, there's exactly. a huge cultural shift, and, exactly. and certainly mysticism and uh, uh, what became New Ageism and, and what was uh, you know previously a cult uh, uh, was very popular in all different ways. There were literally you know magical groups and communities That's right. that were based in ritual magic. Well, right here, you have the Source family. The Process Church. The Process Church. Uh, yeah, the, the other one, the Source, right? What was the other one? Children of God. Yep. The Mansons. Yep. It always takes that dark turn, ultimately. You know, that's the other part of it, is you you fuel all this. And one thing that's interesting about sort of the occult imagination, mm-hmm. that I like to call it, and that kind of magical thinking that I know for me personally, when I fueled it with stuff like acid, you know, everything just connects to something else. There's no end. There's no final message. There's just... You have to keep digging, and then there's another sign that points to another sign, and another sign. Yeah, but that so, but that's right. Symbol, but that's right? that's magical. That's mystical thinking. That's, that's magical thinking. thinking. That's right. But it turns dark when you're. There's a moment in. Uh, Do you ever see Imagine? Yeah, when it turns dark is you is when you you believe, it, when you actually have a moment where you believe it's all connected. then it becomes quite overwhelming and it's impossible not to think that you're a secret agent of some kind that's right am i the only one that knows this yeah exactly exactly then you're in trouble right because then it's and it has been said that it's just as psychotically self-centered to believe that you're jesus is to believe you're the devil there's no right 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 i always thought that when i got the most psychotic that i was just sort of like uh uh-oh i've been assigned the job to reveal this (laughs) yes I, I didn't think I was a prophet. I didn't think I was Jesus or the devil. I was just sort of like, I, I'm I'm being privy. I'm privy to this information. But then the information changed almost immediately when as soon as you got it. No, because I did. I was a I was a sign reader. Okay, I would see signs, but I didn't know what they represented. Yeah, I had well, that. Yeah, which yeah. is you know I think which is what is compelling about about a lot of it, whether it's done on purpose or not, whether I bury Paul is there on purpose or not, it's compelling and it, it starts to create its own narrative. That's right. That is not denied or not confirmed, which is a great tool of magic. Right. Exactly. Uh, never deny, never confirm. So. You know, but the, but the ritual space, well, you know, all this stuff, mythologizing and images and and rumors that become myths is one thing. But it does seem to me that there were some artists that that actually affected and and utilized ritual space 
and and magic elements in order to deliver the goods. Yes. Right? Yep. yep. Who are they? So it gets a little complicated, though, okay? yeah. because you have a place at which the music itself becomes the ritual space, mm-hmm. which is different from, saying, drawing a pentagram on your floor and trying to conjure up. Yeah, just put that on the cover. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So Zeppelin, I think, is a very interesting example because you have somebody, first you have Robert Plant, very interested in the mythology of um, you know ancient Britain, yeah, right. right? Brings all that. That's yeah. where you get the loves the Tolkien yeah, yeah, references. Yeah. You know, there's That's more a, to me relatively uninteresting. Yeah, but there's more Tolkien references in Zeppelin than the Devil. Sure, you know, song sure. per song. Yeah, you know, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Then you have Page, who is very interested in magic. I think in a very deep way. Yeah, cares about it. Thinks that. Um, stuff like what Aleister Crowley had to say is important. And what's manifested is where I think ma- if magic is real, it's where it really exists. It's, right. in that, it's in that transmission between the musician and the audience. Yes. Right? So there's some, there's a sacred space that's created yes. there. And we, in whatever that moment, we're in the show or listening to the music, we give over to this thing. And it's real, right? Yeah, it's that is real. The, sure. A, that's a, magic. That's magic. M- right? Music is magic in general. Right. You know, just by nature of the space it occupies, you know, in our minds and in the air and, and you know, uh, you know, like just even the, the opening riff of satisfaction being delivered to Keith while he was half asleep, uh, there, there's something mysterious about that. And that's pretty much a pop song. Yeah. Uh, you know, that doesn't, you know, really lend itself to, to, to occult thinking, although it was sort of calling out corporate culture in yes. a way. Yeah, so it becomes kind of its own, again, it's a sp- act of, it, what I like to think is that, it, particularly as it comes to rock and roll, that rock itself becomes a, a, a weapon of spiritual rebellion, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And it's often a spiritual rebellion that sees itself in opposition to traditional mainstream Judeo-Christian Norms, from the beginning. From the be- very beginning, mm-hmm. right? Even when the slaves were singing their version of the of their spirituals, it was still, it was in opposition to the normative, mainstream, white, Christian so way of it, worship. So you're saying it always occupied that space, and on some level, the best rock and roll is something that pushes up against yes. anything mainstream, anything uh, dogmatic, anything uh, you know dug in. That's right. And even bef- prior to that, go all the way back to the early avant-garde classical composers. Sure. At every moment, you see these composers, somebody like Ravel and, uh, you know, they were always as much as they were doing this they were also joining rosicrucian orders sure right because and looking also at 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 non-traditional spiritual modes because they needed something that felt like it spiritually they needed something that felt like it matched what they were doing musically but also you know i think the gift of that is and the reason for it is is that you know where how do you unleash the possibilities of your imagination so like exactly that's the that's it right so the tools of of ritual magic whether it be a, a a sacred order or or something you know more intimate you know, is really sort of like we're doing something, you know, certainly, you know, uh, transgressive in a way. Yes. Something, you know, alternative and, and maybe even uh, uh, against the law. Yeah. And dangerous. Dangerous to, to see where that takes our minds. Right. 
Exactly. Well, let's talk about the the late, great David Bowie, because there's been a lot of speculation about the arc of his career and his characters and his different manifestations as being very conscious uh, acts of ritual magic. Yes. What do you think? You're the you're you're now the spokesperson. Yes. (laughs) The author of Season of the Witch, How the Occult Saved Rock and Roll. Tell me about the life of David Bowie and all his his character uh, manifestations and and what they were uh, servicing. So I I think and this sounds like a little bit of rock and roll hyperbole, Mm -hmm. but I think that he really was the true rock magician Mm -hmm. because he. So there's an interesting thing. There's a definition of magic that. Crowley says, Crowley, Crowley, that says, you know, magic is the art and science of, of changing, of causing change in accordance with your will. Right. And a little bit later, this woman, Dion Fortune, said, actually, it's causing a change in consciousness to occur in accordance with the will. Mm -hmm. And so I see Bowie as somebody who at every turn actually was changing his consciousness through these different personas, Mm -hmm. fully inhabiting them, Mm -hmm. and all along the way using the sort of mythologies of various magic. I mean, he even went so far as to become interested in sort of the weird Nazi occult, Uh you know, mythologies. And he saw, you know, that as also a place where populism becomes its own kind of theater which becomes its own kind of ritual change in the public consciousness well yeah well i mean right? well the hitler was very aware of that exactly uh, yeah and it, 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 it enabled him to to manifest his will to you know horrible ends that's right and so a lot of people would retroactively say that and i don't know you well, know that was I'm, the whole raiders of the lost that's the ex- whole raiders of the lost ark exactly um and so a Bowie would look back on that later and be wholly ashamed that he embraced the kind of slightly he said fascist. That? Yeah, he and he said it was the cocaine and just not thinking it through. Well, no, he got feel, he, he applied his intelligence uh, to to dark matter because when you're jacked on drugs and in a psychotic state and have a lot of money, uh, you're going to turn to the darkness. That's right, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, I think about it even as, go back to all, any of these guys, they were young, uh-huh. a lot of them grew up poor. Suddenly yeah. you have more money yeah. than you know what to do with, uh-huh. you know? And a lot of them uh, died. Exactly. With their dumb games. That's right. One of the things that I found out later about Bowie after he died that just made me feel so good was that he in later in his life he loved being sober. Like, yeah. He loved his sobriety. Yeah. Well, he, I think you he know? became a very sort of a. Uh, uh, he was always elegant, but he became a, a very sophisticated, I think, moral and uh, uh, and uh, polite English gentleman. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So, so as you move through all this stuff, now yeah, the, the conclusion is is that that rock and roll is magic, and that uh, it's magic because of the, the almost the the very nature. Of what uh, magic is, which yep. is an opposition to uh, to established norms. That's right. Uh, it's also what we need it to be. So there's a lot that we as fans and critics and media impose on it. Uh-huh. You know, we want to say. You know, there was a there was somebody who wrote that Mick Jagger was the most evil man alive. You know, that yeah. he was the devil personified. Yeah, I remember. But he saw himself. He was a he. He saw himself as the trickster, not as Satan. Right, well, right. he is, yeah. Yeah, but he liked I'll buy it. He brought all that on to himself partly because he liked the attention that came as part of 
embracing that as you know it, let me and it's funny her satanic majesty is not a great record it's not a great record <laughs> <laughs> nope the lantern's a pretty good song yeah yeah uh and then you get like later as we move into you know what really becomes defined as satanic rock that's a fucking joke yep. like it, it's weird because like american satanism and satanism is in, satanism in general as a specific uh ideology and practice was really a a, a huckster job yeah. I mean, you know, how Satan figures into other magical systems or the beast or Belzebub or whoever, whatever its manifestation is, was usually part of a broader system, right? right? Yeah. So then when, you know, Anton LaVey summons this fucking you know, ridiculous you know, bit of business, which is, you know, yeah, you know, just a gutting of Crowley and everything else. And it's basically just sort of do what you want. Yeah. It's about, it's a liberation. It's a yeah. libertarian theology. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But it's sort of like, it's it's half baked in a way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think so because, the, and I have to say, and I don't want to, you know. You want to trivialize Satanism? Uh, yeah, I don't trivialize Satanism. <laughs> but like the Church of Satan thing, you know, the yeah. current that's doing all these things with trying to get the Baphomet statues put up and uh-huh. to do. I kind of wish it was like a, a real Wiccan pagan group that was right. doing it, right? Or right. even the local Hindu temple. I wish they were the ones that were asking for a statue of Shiva. Shiva, yeah. You know? Yeah. Because if you ask there's these, context. There's context. They ask these guys, they say, we don't believe in anything. We're right. atheists. Yeah. So why do you want a religious statue of Yeah, yeah, yeah. But- you know they're ju- they're, <laughs> they're, they're trolls pranksters they're great they're great at it yeah. there's no doubt and they're making they're really showing i think fundamentalism at what at its core is problematic oh, so right. right it's just a direct opposition it's a reaction that's right it's not a system in a way that's right it's a reaction like punk rock is it would fall in the same punk rock for the most part is not magic per se but a reaction an aggressive reaction that's right right yeah yes. yeah so so um i just want to say on the record that i'm fine with magic I'm okay with the uh, some of the darker elements of magic that don't hurt people, and I'm okay with the darker elements of magic that have you know delivered us some of the best music in the world. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm on board. Yep. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a member of the uh, the magical circle. There's a story that I write about in the book um, when Zeppelin was recording three. They asked um, the engineer Terry Manning. Mm-hmm. Page went up to him and he said, I want you to take this quote, do what thou wilt, and I want you to etch it into the inner groove. And Manny said, I can't do that. It's going to wreck, I, you know, and he said, I need you to do it because we have to get Crowley's message out to the world. Yeah. So Manny humored him. He said it was a very precarious thing, getting the master in a way that he could get down above it, etch it in. He said it was maybe 20, 30 years later, Terry Manning was watching cable TV and it was he flipped through, it was a 700 club. And the uh, minister held up the album. Yeah. Zelda Zeppelin III. Yeah. The devil in music right here, close up camera, there's the inner thing. And Manning looked and he said to himself, I did that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. It was only on one pressing, right? Is it hard to find? I think you can get it. I think you can get it on an old Zeppelin three, like yep. on the you know right at between the last song and the label. It, exactly, exactly. That's smooth. And you know, remember later, punk bands would always write little messages. No, there's stuff. In there all, there's stuff. a lot of yeah. stuff written in there. Yeah, yeah, that was always fun trying to look for those. Yeah. Now we got to go look at my old Zeppelin yeah, three. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and see if it's there. That would be good. Well, so you know, you cover a lot in the book. You get and you you threaded through a sort of. Uh, memoir yep of your own sort of musical enlightenment yep 
And uh, how's the book doing? Is it magic? Pretty good. You know, you always people. It's like I, you think people buy books, but then you always want them to buy more. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The book I did before this sold fifty copies. So yeah. which one know, was that? Too much to dream. Uh-huh. Psychedelic American Boyhood. Uh huh. That was my uh, memoir of my lapsed youth. Uh huh. So now you tightened it up. Tightened it up. Got outside <laughs> of myself. <laughs> good man. Well, it was good talking to you. Thanks buddy. very much. <laughs> That was uh, Peter Biebergall. Nice guy. I like the book. Season of the Witch, How the Occult Saved Rock and Roll. All right, so now what? Now let's talk to Joseph Arthur. He's got a new record out. The most recent one is called The Family. I'm also a fan of some of his other records. I, I also, I really liked his tribute to Lou Reed, mostly acoustic renditions of Lou Reed music. And it was fun to meet him and hang out Cause we, it, he's just one of those guys where you're like, oh, we're kind of, we got a thing, we got something in common, something. There's something we know each other from another life or something. This is me and Joseph Arthur. You live in a garage in, in Redford. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I. I mean, not officially. It's is it's it, like uh, live, is, live workspace. Yeah. I is, mean. Is this a sad story, Joseph, or is it a nice garage? It's I well, I heard you recently call this place magical. Uh-huh. And you said that you uh really have come to believe that it's magical. You got to. And I have come to believe and I I don't know, I identify with you, Mark. So I feel it. I, I do. I identify so I I and I also think that my garage is magical. It's just on the different coast. Well, the thing about spaces in general, you know, I I think spe- especially with music that, you know, they do take on they are part of it. They are part like you know yeah. whether you can identify it or not when you listen to the music, you, you know, but that room is that room and right. the music's only going to sound like it sounds in that room. You yeah, know, they do have that element, right? Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, and like a lot of times, like the greatest studios are just like, yeah, pretty underwhelming spaces. Yeah, like muscle visually. Yeah, they're but, just a room. But um, I usually always put it. I like think of it as like it's down to like sort of uh, supernatural. Yeah, like yeah, that there's spirits or something. Do I mean, you have you? Fa- yeah, I think I I go that way. I don't know if I believe it or not, but I tend to. I have gone that way in my life. Yeah. But then like but then I have to identify the the beings and you know what kind of spirits. Right. And and like you know why were they sent here? What do they want from me? Right. Are they going to turn on me? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I if I'm going to deal with spirits, define spirits, there's always a chance that they'll start fucking with you the wrong way. That's true. They often do. Right. They often do fuck with you the wrong way on purpose. Yeah. And I, you know, see, if you believe that, I guess it lets you off the hook to a degree. Yeah. But uh, I could also just believe that there's a coziness or something. Like, I could probably, like, I used to be a lot more mystical in my thinking yeah. before I met somebody who was a, um, you know, like a guy who, like, if you look at, um, what's the the math word I want? the odds of something happening. Uh-huh. Do you know, like, if you really look at, if you break down a situation, like, why the fuck did I just run into that guy? Right. In my neighborhood. Yeah. Like, if you really break down, you the know, odds. what is your circle of life? Right. And you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of takes a little bit of the poetry out of it. I'm not- Or know. puts it in. I mean, my 
I, I'm alive because of alcoholism. I mean, my parents met in a bar. Really? <laughs> yeah, like, so I, you know, I can't be too mad at alcohol. Which one was an alcoholic? Well, uh, well, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, my, my, you know, the, my dad's got some issues with that. He's sober, though. Oh, he got know? sober? Yeah, like, he's for so- real? Yeah, he's sober. Yeah. Like, program sober? Yeah, he got pro- program sober, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. For how long? He's been sober a long, long time. That's fucking good. Yeah, 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 a long time. Did you grow up in it? I did grow up in it. Damn, we're going there quick. We, we were talking about mystical ghosts and stuff, and yeah. now we're like in my family. You are a sensei. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> um, well, the new record, like, um, yeah, I, I know it's not about yeah. your family per se, but, you know, there there's a few of your albums that are, are narratively driven. So yeah. you are a storyteller. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> you for saying that. I, um... But I was getting the al- the reason I'm alive because yeah. alcoholism was the alcoholism of my mother's at the time roommate, who was like <laughs> prodding her. Once to, removed, who were yeah, like this was years and years, obviously years and years ago before I was born. But like so, yeah, she made my mom take her to the bar, and that's yeah. where my mom and dad met. They wouldn't have met outside of that. My where mom, was it? My mom's from West Virginia. Yeah. And my dad's from Akron, Ohio. I'm from Akron, Ohio. Which Akron, is Ohio. Earthquaker Devices, uh, you know, shout out to them. I know they're all there. They're all there. You know yeah. them? Yeah. Well, yeah. You're I, a, well, I you're, a, some... you're, a, you're a pedal guy. A pedal guy? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll layer the sounds. That's true. Yeah. You got brothers and sisters? I got a sister. Older sister. What'd she do? Two and a half years older. Um, she is a painter. She and she's uh raises uh two kids. Painter, huh? Yeah. How old are you? You mind me asking? I don't mind. I'm forty four. Okay. I'm fifty two. Yeah. Forty four. Forty four. So you're growing up in Akron. Uh huh. In the seventies. In the seventies. Well, yes. Late seventies. Right. Yeah. So are, what kind of like when did you start doing the music? Well, my sister, I guess there was a piano that suddenly. She appeared. older. She's older. Yeah. So then she was interested in piano lessons, and then so I kind of like just got swept up into that, and I hated that. But then, you know, it's funny because I got into Jaco Pastorius. I got into bass, and and well, what do you I mean, like Jaco Pastorius? And you did that interview with uh, uh, Flea and Robert Trujillo, which was great. Did you watch that documentary? Sure, I did. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Did you like it? I well, I'm a huge Jaco Pastorius nut job. I love. Are it. you really? Yeah, I, I ripped all the frets out of my Fender Precision bass. <laughs> I wanted to be a jazz fusion bass player. Like that's what I I, I was in a band called Frankie Star and Chill Factor when I was in high school. And it was school. a fusion band. It was a blues band, and we opened up for like Stevie Ray Vaughan a couple. Times. Really? I play like we play like five nights a week. And you're playing bass. And I was playing bass. So you're like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like dun 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 dun. Yeah. You know, and funk stuff too. Yeah, um, yeah. And we were good. I mean, I I'd make like. A lot of money. I probably made more money then than now, but you know, playing in a blues band, playing in a playing blues bars, band. yeah, playing bars. I could have, I could have kept doing it. I mean, and then uh, how I, old th- were you? This was like eleventh and twelfth grade in high school, so I'm like seventeen. And then so you're playing out. I, I was playing five nights a week. Not guitar per- though. And, not guitar, bass. Yeah, yeah, all and bass. I, and I didn't sing until I was like twenty one. I didn't even. I was going to be a jazzer, you know. That's weird. So, but weird. did you study jazz? It, it's not completely weird. It kind of makes sense because, like, yeah. I can't wrap my brain around you know fusion and enjoying it. Like, I can. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I can see Jocko is a great yeah, bass player. I understand that, and there, and I get, and I feel that way too, to a degree. I yeah, mean, I like you know, I like yeah. That's why I do what I do. I like songs and yeah. 
hooks right, and, and hooks repetition and, the and blues stuff. and stuff yeah and i like the blues like fusion just sort of like there's something cheesy about keyboard sometimes that i can't quite get past even if it's fucking chick korea right or even if it's that dude that crazy alpha dude in weather report that right. made jocko's wife so i know difficult. joe zawin yeah joe zawin fall is yeah. that his name yeah that was a, that was like an a, interesting uh yeah he seemed like a real terror that yeah guy. and i know he's a great player but there's just something about i mean like look well, you I know can, how us artists are we have egos and freak out and insecurities oh yeah we're uh, disaster we're, we're disasters just, yeah. uh, most of the good <laughs> ones are but like i can listen to miles like when he shifted well, that, I was gonna say a good window into like enjoying fusion. Yeah. If you ask me, is a uh, bitch's brew. Yeah, I can Miles listen to Day. that. I all mean, day that's long. like yeah, that's like mystical. Going back to ghosts in garages, that's like mystical music. I no, think. I think so too. I mean, yeah. I like I, the one I listen to a lot for some reason are, is the Jack Johnson record, which all is right. really kind of stripped huh. down, man. I don't, I don't really know that one that well. Yeah, I guess it was done as a soundtrack for a movie oh, about okay. Jack Johnson, and I actually have a. Uh, Someone turned me on to like the full studio session, so I have all that shit. Mm-hmm. But I have, um, but I have the record. Yeah, and it's really lean, and it's like it's it's. I, apparently, he told John McLaughlin to pretend like he didn't know how to play guitar. That's amazing. And, and I love stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it, like anytime, like there's just like that opening. Be creative, be free, and also be free to be as sort of bad as you want to be. Like yeah. If you give yourself permission to not be great, yeah. that's a big... I mean, and that's like huge in what you do, just going out and... Sure. You know, because, you know... Yeah, you got to take the prepared risk. ...prepared material. Like, what if yeah. you go up there and... What, what do you if do? you do? What, what, what do if you, you fail? Yeah. What if, in that context? You try not to fail in front of too many people. Right. But but like if you're working on shit, you got to work on shit. Do, do you ever fail like when you go up there and like... Yeah. You like walk with a loss... Well, or I do mean, you I, redeem it and then walk away and know that something failed? It's more embarrassing right. than a loss. Like, I know when things don't hit, and, you know, depending on where I'm doing it, I can usually counter that right. by acknowledging it. Right. That's what I always do. I yeah. always acknowledge the awkwardness. Right. And, and then that's like, yeah. Yeah, it's better. It's better. But, like, in the, <laughs> in the big world of professionalism, uh, it, it, does, it does imply a certain inconsistency in your ability to do the job. I guess so. People could, yeah, could look like, at it that yeah, way. Yeah, I like they that could. Joe. They like that Joe Arthur, that Joe Arthur, but he fucks up a lot of songs and he yeah. kind of talks about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but it's all right. Yeah, but but I think that is true about creativity that you have to you know not be afraid to to fail. Like with guitar, like I, it took me a long time to realize. Like the only reason I never really committed to it in a real way is I I don't like learning songs. Right, and I, I sort of just like. You know, I think I'm a pretty good player, but I never thought I compared to real players. But like in the last few years, I sort of just realized like, what the fuck does that even mean? And who it's does? Like, yeah, who but what does that mean who, like, yeah. in rock and roll, really? Right. I mean, right. there's some bad players. So arguably, some of the best players that we know are not that great. Right. I mean, you're talking <laughs> about technical level. Yeah, it doesn't. But that, that's what that I part. compare myself to. It's like, I don't know my scales. I don't know how to noodle. I can't just you know listen to songs and know them. And I don't like learning songs. Well, well, I don't like learning songs either, which is well, why, I started, why, so that's why I started writing songs. Because, really? Yeah, there was like the people in, like there was that talented kid in everybody's high school who could just hear Noodle? a song and play right, the like thing the, on piano. Like I remember like, the guy, uh, even, like, you right, know? like Mike, <laughs> Mike Garcia could play uh, uh, Van Halen's Eruption. Right. And I'm like, fuck it. <laughs> there's that guy in every high school and I was not him. And what what would invariably happen? I'd start trying to figure something out, and yeah. then I would just start getting drifting away with this new progression, and then start 
singing something or do something or make something up out of it. I used to just compose, but um, I, I wonder why, like the thing with comedians and mm-hmm. musicians, mm-hmm. like how so many really good comedians are like really good musicians. Are they really good? Uh, but he, this is the question. Because, like, uh, some of them are, yeah. Like, I mean, they could be putting out records. I mean, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like, when you think of, like, oh, the Flight of the Concords, they made those, like, oh, yeah, that, those, yeah, that kind good. of thing, and the Mighty Bush or whatever and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Or, like, and then Jimmy Fallon is... Yeah, he can the, play you know, pretty good. He's talented. But I always think, like, the only difference is, for some reason, comedians can't do it without irony. That's the that's the well, thing. Well, if you're a comic and you have musical talent, it really becomes a sort of like, how do you integrate it into your act without being stupid? Right. Like, or hacky. Or, or but why can't a comedian then be also a serious musician where this is not ironic and not funny? I don't think they can't. I, I just but think that, the, like, I is think Is there we, any case of that? Well, we might, we might respect music too much. I think, well, I think you do that a little bit. I mean, I think you're like, um sort of doing that like if i played because like i really p- want to play with other people right but i i don't want to make a big deal of it i don't want to have a goal in mind i would just like to collaborate on that level because i don't yeah. really know how and every time i've done it yeah. just on nights where brendan small has some dudes like uh you should I, do it. I like it yeah, because yeah it's just something i have to integrate in my life you find the guys you make a schedule you get a yeah. space and go fuck off for a while yeah i play on the podcast because like I just like the sound of it in yeah. my head, and I like fucking with this stuff, and I like Mike and the amp, and I just like I don't put any real effort into it, and like a lot of times I'm just making it up as I go along. Yeah, and I I don't know why. It's a nice way to like conclude things. It yeah, is. I, I like it. I mean, I've been listening to the podcast since before you did that. Right, and I like it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, but let's get back to you in Ohio. Okay, so you're playing in a blues band. Yeah, you, you want to be Jocko. You rip the frets out. <clears throat> yeah, you want to do fusion. I want to do fusion. Yeah, and well, then, or I wanted to. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Stanley Clark and Jocko were kind of my heroes. Oh, yeah, I remember Stanley Clark's yeah. band. Well, you know what I liked about the Jocko documentary was that it just, it, it sort of reminded, because I wore, like just loved him as a kid, and then, you know, you get new heroes, and you come up, and you do other things, and yeah. stuff like that, but it just reminded me of that, that sort of part of just music for the sake of it, or just art, like just yeah. art, not, not thinking about it in terms of a of a commodity but thinking just being an artist just right. how, how how much of a gift that actually right. is and you know and to the heartbreaking way he sort of lost it you know did you think that way always i mean did you think were you thinking that way as a young person that this that, that, that this is a gift or, or or that it's not a commodity necessarily i never really thought money uh until like i got into my 40s i like i'm late i'm a latecomer to think to being financially concerned (laughs) not not because i haven't needed to be yeah i've never been rich or anything but just uh yeah i don't i mean i think something happens when you click into the 40s and you're yeah and you don't know if you're gonna have enough money yeah you're like to write it out yeah well i mean like how do i write it out you went through that so i identify that with that too like yeah uh, yeah and then this whole thing kind of like blossomed for you in a big way so yeah well i think it's interesting that our career paths are are similar in that we keep trying yeah i mean that's what i figured yeah and as long as you're not bitter that's the main thing like is just not being bitter you know and and the and the way i'm <clears throat> a lot of times people come up to me and be like you should be so much bigger than you are i don't oh, understand it and i you know it used to like i used to yeah get into that and then get feel bad and now i'm just like you know what there is no should in pop culture pop culture is this cold 
thing that doesn't yeah. care and it's it doesn't have anything personally against you yeah the cream doesn't it, rise to the top it, usually the yeah. curdled part or it just it's, yeah <laughs> i don't know it, it helps to not be bitter you know so yeah well is that something you had to work on of course i mean every day i'm bitter as hell right now i want to <laughs> jump over the table and start like what fight i do no i don't know what did i do i'm just kidding <laughs> I, I got lucky i'm on your team you know yeah, yeah. But okay, so you're doing. Uh, y- y- when do you start sort of defining your sound? Because one thing is that you do have definite sound. I didn't really know who you were until I think you reached out to me, maybe personally. Right. But but I got that the like what I remember really listening to was the Lou Reed tribute album. Oh right, and like it came from somewhere. I guess somebody sent it to me because you wanted them to. But like I'm, I was a big Lou Reed fan, and I I really appreciated the earnest approach. To yeah. sort of honoring those songs, yeah. and and I and I didn't really know who you were, but then I'm like, well, he must be yeah, a you guy. Tw- you tweeted. That's why I reached out because I was like a fan already. Yeah. And so, but I didn't, you know. Then right. and I uh, didn't think you. And you tweeted, and I was like, holy shit! Right. You know? Well, because I was like, you know, I listen to a lot of records that come through. Yeah. And I get a lot of records. Yeah. And some things grab you, and some things don't. Yeah. So like listening to the Lou thing. Because, like, how do you do those songs? And, you know, you, you did them sort of differently than your records. I mean, they were stripped down. Right. Almost all acoustic versions, basically. Yeah, it's a trip. I, I start a lot of records wanting to make something really stripped down. I yeah. mean, and that record in particular was um, not even my idea. It was a guy named Bill Bentley, who's um, a really great guy, A&R guy. Yeah. Vanguard at the time. And he it was his idea for me to do that. And I just... Yeah, I realized it would be kind of a weird thing to do, and I just thought, well, I'll just try something very simple, and I did the sort of Brian Eno set limitations thing, which was just like, I'm going to just do this all acoustic instruments and just use microphones. And so I did an acoustic bass, acoustic piano, acoustic guitar. I just made it all acoustic and kept it really simple, and, and it just worked out it just sounded how it sounded, and they liked it. Well, what's interesting about it is that, you know, when you do a song that is so sort of... Elevated. I think he did Satellite of Love on there, right? Uh-huh. That was one of my favorite Lou Reed songs. Yeah. And you know, and you take it down to that. You take it down to the basics and just the poetry of yeah. Lou. Like it, you know, it, it, it's interesting that it um, it sort of becomes a different song, right? But yet the the words are enough to you know, to sort of keep it high, you know, keep yeah. it elevated. Yeah. And I think you must have had a lot of respect for that guy. Oh, yeah. A tremendous amount. Yeah. I Did knew you have him. a relationship I, I, with him? I knew him, yeah. Um, well, I got, because I got signed to Peter Gabriel's label. I went from Akron, I went, I moved to Atlanta randomly. I so just, wait, so now, okay, so so we're talking about late 90s. and Late 90s, yeah. And like, you're in Akron, are you playing well, out as your own thing? In by the time late nineties happened, I was in I was in New York. So um, I left Akron in ninety. I graduated high school in ninety. I went to the same high school as the Black Keys as well. And Chris, Did you know those and guys? Chrissy Hine. No, they're younger. They're younger. Chrissy's yeah. older. Chrissy's older. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely uh, like a like a Rust Belt rock and roll town. Yeah, there's something about it. Yeah, and and you know that secret society comes from there too. Which one? Oh yeah, that's the, right. The one that Bill. shall remain nameless. Doctor Bob and Bill. That's right. You can go to the headquarters. <laughs> the thing. I went to the headquarters. I do. Like I mean, to go. somebody I know went to the headquarters. The pilgrimage. <laughs> yeah. I, well. Yeah. I, I grew. I grew up one. near the the headquarters. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. American geniuses. Those two. Yeah. Um, 
So okay, so you go to New York with but then what's, I went. What's but then the I went plan? to Atlanta, and then I like, wait. When it, did you go to Atlanta? At before New York? After high school. Okay. I, Why I, Atlanta? Because there was this band going, and it was four days after I graduated high school, and I wasn't going to go to college, and I just was like, okay, let's go. And oh, I, and I left. Your band. Well, there was yeah, it was a band I was in. Uh huh. You know, yeah. Which one? Not the the blues band. They were called Ten Zen Men. Ten Zen Men. Yeah. And what kind of music was that? We played like funk rock. Uh-huh. I did a lot of slapping and popping on the bass. So you're still a bass player. So you would have loved it. In yeah. other words, it's the kind of music you would have listened to all the time. Well, I like I, I like the I like those Chili Peppers. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, but, I like but funk. Please, like, calm down on the slapping and popping. I I like the I Chili like Peppers popping. too. I do. I do too. Yeah. Anyway, so. You're swapping and so, popping, and you so get go to Atlanta. Go, go to, to Atlanta, Atlanta, and then I and then I'm working all kinds of jobs. And my last job's at Clark Music, which is a guitar shop. I, I sold guitars. We sold Fender guitars and Little Music Store. Yeah, Little Music Store yeah. on Ponce de Leon. You know it? Nope. Oh, anyway, it turned into a pawn shop, and then I don't yeah. know. And then I, um, yeah, something hit me when I was around 21, where I was like, you know, if I don't play like crazy busy bass lines all the time, I could maybe just like think about melody and uh lyrics yeah and so i started just playing more acoustic guitar and i made a a demo like of that stuff and and gave it to a friend in that um mysterious program yeah shall remain nameless i guess are you in it i mean i think so okay you know i don't know i have a funny relationship with it but you don't drink i'm not drinking now yeah (laughs) (laughs) mark it's rough yeah no i i am uh, i quit drinking again okay good or i yeah all right. Yeah. Well, I got you, the issues. If you say you quit drinking again, you need to quit drinking. Yeah. Like you know, like that's any, one way. Yeah. That you know, like you know, if anyone says I gotta quit, you gotta quit. Or the other one I like is if you ever wonder, do you have a drinking problem? You do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's it. Right. But uh, so then, yeah, and then that demo tape randomly got to uh, Peter Gabriel. Just and, you on acoustic. Well, it was uh, no, it was a little like a couple, a little bit of jape on there. Jape. Yeah. What's that? I need like that word, <laughs> jape. Uh, oh, it's like if we were joking, I'd say quit japing me. Oh, okay. So, so some jape uh, like it's like old word. Yeah, for uh, like, like it, I want to bring bells it back, and though. whistles. Yeah, is that what it is? Maybe. You say there's a I think you jape? could. Yeah, you could. It could be that. Well, yeah. what are you referring to exactly? When I'm saying jape, I mean like fake drums and you know. Oh, okay. And, All right. Yeah. Right. But you like that shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do like that shit. Yeah, we disagree on the cheesiness of synthesizers. No, no. I, I, like, I like your aesthetic, but I, I also like a cheesy synthesizer thrown in to like offset that. I've I got, love I, that. I've got some, like, I've heard synthesizers that I like. Oh, okay. But like at that time when they were sort of new. Right. Like, look, oh, I got, I, no, I get you. Yeah. yeah. When, when, you know, when, you know, people are soloing on them. Oh, right. If yeah. they're a texture. <laughs> Fine. So, all right. So your your acoustically japed demo. Yeah, it got gets to, to Peter, Peter Gabriel, Gray, who at this time, what is it, ninety six? This is 95? like no, 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 yeah. This is like yeah, ninety four probably 95. Yeah. So Peter's a pretty big deal. He's a big deal. Yeah. 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 Unique sound. No one sounds like Peter Gabriel. Right. Like he's an, got his thing. Well, it was it was such an interesting, weird world for me to like kind of go into because like here I go for this weird fusion thing. Like I was, yeah. like, you know, like I was already off. Like I like I meet people now. They're like, oh yeah, when I was fourteen, I started yeah. listening to Bob Dylan and the Beatles and right. all this and learning how to write those songs. I'm like, man, I went about it the whole wrong way. But uh, 
Peter ended up bringing Lou Reed to my audition for a real like to the. So you send this demo in, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, like you 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 go to New York for the audition. I, I kind of yeah. My best friend Jeremy was living there. And so I was kind of starting to head into New York. I've right. been a New Yorker now for like over 20 years. Right. So, um, so yeah. And then so I went there and then, yeah, Peter brought loot. It was this little club called The Fez. I know. that The Fez was downstairs yeah. probably at Time. Yeah. yeah, Time. It wasn't that little. Right. Well, it's a couple hundred. Yeah, a couple hundred. And uh, it was nice. It was in a basement. It, yeah. It was, kind of, it was a nice stage situation. Yeah. Yeah, the, the could stage guys. You feel the train. You could hear they, the- Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They started Stella there. You know, uh, Michael uh, Ian Black- uh, David Wayne and Michael Showalter started their show Stella oh. at Fez, mm-hmm. so it, it was actually a comedy venue when that show was there. Oh. But um, so all right, so what do you, what's the outfit? What do you? What, how many people are you on stage with? I was by myself, and it was an acoustic guitar, and I was like being a singer songwriter straight up, like. And I, I was just faking. I was like, what in the heck? Like, what? Yeah, I guess I can cuss on this. Sure. I always think it's funny when people say, can I cuss? Yeah, yeah. But I just had that same instinct. Yeah. Right? You've done <laughs> like, some radio in your day. Yeah. And uh, you got to watch it. Yeah, like, what the heck is going on Yeah, here? yeah, yeah. No, but it, and then I just, I just, it was like an out-of-body experience. I just played my songs. I have no idea if I was any good or not. I just, and then I walked right up to Lou, who was like, I mean, I at that point, I was a huge, like, Lou Reed fan, too. And I was just like, hey and he was like i like the song king of hide and seek and i was and i don't have a song called king of hide and seek but there is a lyric of that right that is a better about it yeah i was like that is a better title than what i was calling that (laughs) 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 and then we went out to eat and we're you and peter gabriel you peter gabriel and lou holy shit and you're like 21 i was like yeah like 24 oh wow and dolly parton was sitting like in the booth next to get us. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And they were starstruck by Dolly Parton Why more than the be? other way around. Well, what, what, And then I found out, sorry to get- Where was that? She was originally the one he wanted to sing Don't Give Up, what Kate Bush sang. The, oh, who? Uh, Dolly Peter? Parton. Yeah. Wanted, uh, uh, Peter Gabriel wanted her to? Peter Gabriel wanted Dolly Parton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, originally. So so where were you eating? That was just right uh, next door. There was a restaurant next door. I actually don't really remember the name of it, but I remember it as yeah, being like yeah. a block away. And right. I remember walking with Lou and some guy coming up and saying something and Lou just sort of, you know- Shielding? It, uh, shielding, you know, yeah. you know, acknowledging and shielding. But I just remembered thinking, wow, because it was like my first, you know- like entree into like being on that side of things well like, yeah with like, a wow. guy like Lou when you've created in your lifetime an army of freaks and weirdos yeah you somehow have to protect yourself against you know what you've created yeah I think he you know he was out and about a lot I oh, mean, no. even in later life you know like New York guy and, and he was a New York guy and so like if you know if, if somebody has a story where oh Lou was rude you know it's like well what do you want I mean yeah no of well, course you would be too Look, if it, I, you know I love Lou I was yeah. listening to Lou yesterday. Yeah, I love Lou too. Uh, but but I like that you had this experience with like he was like a West Side guy, the West Side like Meatpacking District, right? He lived mm-hmm. over there. Yeah, I think he's pretty visible walking his little doggy. I think sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so so you go to dinner with these two and went to dinner and then yeah then yeah and that when Lou was telling me talking to me about um, publishing and stuff like that and what not to do and don't yeah. sign this and. And, uh, and what's yeah. Peter doing? And Peter then was like, "Oh, we're actually offering a publishing deal too." Oh yeah, <laughs> so it was like so. Yeah. This was your deal pitch. This yeah, was like, I mean, you know, this was like we was, want you to. Record. It was crazy. It, it was, was for Peter. It was a lot like you know, just kind of like I mean, when you when I think about it now, it just seems crazy. 
he had this studio in England called Real World Studios. It's in Box, England, which mm-hmm. is like 10 minutes outside of Bath. Okay. And he had this thing called Recording Week, mm-hmm. which, which uh, was like all these musicians and producers and stuff, like Joe Strummer came. Yeah. Um, and like Brian Eno. And you met Chet. those guys? I met those guys. Yeah, I met, you met Joe. Eno? Yeah, I met, yeah, I ate dinner with Eno. You did? Yeah. What was Be- that well, like, cause, Well, because, well, the... His um, Marcus Straps produced my first record. Actually, Brian Eno sang on my first record. Really? Yeah, Brian Eno and Peter Gabriel are are singing on this on the song called Mercedes from my first record. I think it. I was told to me that it's the only song they both singed on together ever, ever. I, that's what I heard. What the fuck is Brian Eno like, dude? Well, I. I mean, I don't. I mean, you know as well as I do. I mean. What was I, he I like? mean, he was a nice guy. Okay, you know, but yeah. like, uh, I mean, I did, we didn't connect on a deep personal level. He's but like he's talking about mystic, I mean, right? Yeah, I'm a, his yeah. influence on fucking music, and then yeah. coming like you move through, like you know, he used to cite the Velvet Underground as his favorite band. Well, and his, then, the way he did this is something I still use is is what he the way he sang on my record, and I do this all the time now too. When people ask me to like guess on their things, yeah. I don't want to hear it. I just, I don't want to hear it. No mic, like just get, make sure the mic is on and recording. Yeah. And then my first instinct is what we're going to record. Uh-huh. And that's what he did. Oh, really? And it's great. That's a great technique because you, you just trick yourself into doing something pretty cool that you would not. And then you don't second guess it. Yeah. And then you can develop it, of course, but sometimes. What, you mean sometimes... develop it on the board? Well, develop develop the idea. Oh, yeah, you, you're saying so. You go with instinct first, and then you're like, "We nailed something with that, but let's like yeah, work maybe, it." Maybe it's magical, and you don't need to do anything to it. And I just like the way he layers sound. Yeah, and like you know, and he's got like there, there's. And I hear that in in you, but it's weird. I hear I hear some of that layering, but I also hear Bruce Springsteen in your shit sometimes. Yeah, I don't oh, know that's why. Cool. Yeah, I'll take that. I, uh, there's something like earnest, and like you know, yeah. like. You know, th- this song means business. Right. And I'm telling a story. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough line, the earnest versus not, because it's funny because I've been like in the studio the last like three, I, my garage is yeah. also the studio. Sure. I, you can call it. You can I can call it. Like can it. I call it whatever sure. I want? Yeah. I've been in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just go over to my bed. <laughs> AKA the bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Uh, well, yeah, because it was this Trump song I'm working on, and just that whole thing about earnestness versus not, yeah, you know, because you like something can be pedantic or you know, yeah. But or, what happens? So you get this deal. Like this is what's interesting mm-hmm. to me is that, okay. you know, you're you 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 got this gig, right? You got the deal on uh-huh. on a set of acoustic songs, right? And that first record is is pretty layered and 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 <laughs> yeah. well produced, yeah, yeah. So you are are now it, well, at school almost. I was at school. That's exactly right, man. Yeah. And it was the strangest school for me because my whole philosophy was, you know, is the sort of like, well, you got the first thought, best thought, and then Leonard Cohen says second thought, best thought, or at least that's been attributed to him, right? Which I think is cool. But you know, and Peter is this. Uh, uh, Peter Gabriel makes these re- was making these records and taking five years, six years, and lots of people working on them. You know, twenty different groove ideas for yeah. a song. So like, just this real meticulous way of going about it. This real like sort of, you know, not that it's not coming from the gut because Peter is like a, you know a groove person and right. stuff like that. But it is a lot up here too. So. It was just opposite of where I was heading in my own way. I was probably going to be like more just like let's make a garage record, you right. know, like that. Sure, you know. But but so then all of a sudden I was like in that world, opposite extremes. Yeah, so I learned a lot. No I, jape. I learned I learned about jape the hard way. 
but like high end. That's Jake. the name of my autobiography. Jape, Jape the, hard- the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> but this is like some high end Jape, dude. Yeah, no, it was real high end Jape, and uh, and it was gr- it was great. I mean, it's been it's been a wild journey, you know. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, but let's talk about. Because, like, when I look at the arc of, like, your career and your persistence, like, y- you know, it didn't work out the way it could have at the beginning. Right. Well, it, it still hasn't. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I first found out you're going to have me on your podcast, I thought, is this some part of Make-A-Wish Foundation? Is somebody not telling me something? What's going on here? <laughs> like, am I getting the results right after this podcast? <laughs> well, no, but like, you know, you, you were poised. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been, it's a couple times, like you get the machine grinding up. Well, know, I mean, the bit. first record, Big City Secrets, I mean, it's a good record, mm-hmm. but what happened? Well, that I mean, well, that came out in France and did. I, I, I'm, I'm, I was big in France. Yeah, <laughs> that's the yeah. name of my follow-up autobiography. Sure, big in France. No, I um, to Japan. <laughs> yeah, um, and then it didn't do anything here. And then I waited around for a while before I could get into the studio again. It used to take years. Like, was it disappointing? Couple- Oh yeah! Oh, like yeah, mind-blowingly disappointing. <laughs> like everything, you know, along the way. But that's like, wh- that's how you develop into like, not you know that philosophy of not being bitter or whatever. Like ho- hopefully, all, uh, hopefully these things don't destroy you along the way. Hopefully they. Well, you kept of, working in, like, like I did, even if you yeah. were bitter. It's like you it's know the if- Andy Warhol thing. Like keep making stuff, and while everyone says it, how bad it is, make more stuff. Yeah. it's like that's that's the attitude. So right God there. willing, or the mystical dwarves, or you the know, spirits willing, if you ever do hit, people are gonna be like, who the fuck is this guy? And, it, and you're gonna have twenty records there. Right, and if I don't. Like, or to whatever degree I do or don't, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, other than, you know, it, I don't know. That's well, my it, attitude sitting here right now on your, like, on Mark Maron's podcast, though. So, the, I mean, but, like, it could go a lot, it could go, there could go a lot further down from here. But the thing is weird, <laughs> right, but 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 you still work. I'm, I'm yeah, sure yeah. you've been down, and, like, you know, it seems like there's been booze involved at different times, so you can get real <laughs> there's down. There's been booze. Yeah, There's well, been ladies. Yeah, boozing ladies. <laughs> that can really take you all the way down. All the way down. Oh, yeah. Those are two tickets to the bottom level. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, but but even when, you know, after I, I liked the, the Lou album, mm-hmm. which is just called Lou, the songs right. of Lou Reed. Then you didnn't know a way, a way to get in because there's too much stuff. Well, or... no, no. I mean, I kind of like kicked me and poked around a little right. bit, but I did listen to Days of Surrender a few uh-huh. times. Oh, cool. Like I that's have- interesting because that was the record I made uh, um, after Lou, and I kind right. of sort of had that same inspiration. It's funny that you're that. Well, that came that- to me in vinyl, and the cover is engaging, and I'm, I'm sort of I was sort of intrigued by you in general because there's something you know very unique and very you know ethereal about like the way you produce records. Huh. So I listened to Days of Surrender with that same kind of intent, like yeah. like of like there's something going on here. You know, like this guy's right. doing things. Yeah. You know, and I had to listen to it a few times because it's You great... were listening to my magical garage. That's what you were listening to. That's uh-huh. that's my magical garage. It's a lot of layers, dude. Yeah. In that record. In a, in a good way? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> because you listen to it and then you hear your voice and then it's sort right. of like, it sounds like there's like like a, a whole other thing going on alongside of it. Huh. That's... Do you know what I mean? I, like, I... you know, like, here's the music, here's a song. Right. And like, what's going over there on the right? You yeah. know, like, there's like... Oh, right, <laughs> Textures yeah. and shit. Yeah. Yeah, lots of panning and stuff like uh-huh. that on the stereo spectrum. I mean, I probably could mix it better now that I've watched my mixing with Mike videos. 
I mean, that's the thing. That was it's like the, that was pre-mixing with Mike, so I didn't like. You know. It's not my intention of um, uh, you, know, you know making you feel insecure. No, no. It. I appre- but listen, I appreciate you shout like or uh, uh, shouting out that. Yeah, record. I don't know. Another, right. Is there a better way to say that? I appreciate Talking you mentioning that record. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just um, something I put out, and you know, yeah. Well, what, what, now, but after- There's not a lot of hoopla, or there's, you know, it's hard you, to- You put it up by yourself? Yeah, kind of, yeah, that's a, the way I mean to Do you have a label? Um, I do Lonely Astronaut Records, I guess. I mean, it's like, uh, we just, I think it's like this thing where every time you put out something new, it's, the music business has changed again, so yeah. it's like you reinvent it again every single time. How many big uh, uh, labels have you been at? Oh, man- well, through Real World, I was on Virgin, and then I went on to Universal. Real World, what is that? Real World is Peter Gabriel's okay. label. Yeah, and um, you went to Virgin, and, and well, they they, I was signed to Real World, and then they put it out through Virgin. So you get signed. Sometimes you get signed to these labels that are also signed to labels, right? Subsidiaries, subsidiaries. Now yeah. the second record, "Come to Where I'm From," like mm-hmm. you that know, was this produced by T Bone Burnett, who's a genius. Yeah. Genius, in, in, like sure. you know, in his own way, right? I mean, I, I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, liked a couple of his solo records, and yeah. you know, certainly he's a great archivist. Oh, he's yeah, he's. Uh, and what did the, he bring? The world is a better place for, for people. Yeah, and yeah. what did he bring to your sound? You know, he produced me a, a like in. He gave me he f- gave me so much confidence. It's hard to explain. Uh-huh. I, I don't. I don't think it's any accident that he keeps having big success that he does because. I don't know. He there was something he did where he just like made me feel like what I was doing was very important, uh-huh. and, that, and that you know, and just gave me a lot of confidence. And then we made that at Sound City, which was the you know the day, out here, yeah, the yeah. old documentary, another magic place, which is a magic place, yeah, yeah, and just the whole thing. And that was like the L.A. record. It was I was out in L.A. for like th- three months, staying at the Oakwoods. I yeah. found Usher's driver's license in the parking lot. <laughs> and I turned it in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. And how'd that record do? Well, it again, I think it, you know, that record actually sort of was kind of like, con- is considered my first record over here in a yeah. way. And that did pretty, I got record of the year in Entertainment Weekly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it had a, it, and it was a critically well received record and it sold okay. Yeah. But it didn't sell a lot, you know. And so Virgin kind of lost interest after that. And then that's when I went to Universal. It's got the groovy cover too. You always got good covers. Thanks, man. I'm a. Uh, I usually paint them. I'm a painter. Yeah. Yeah. When did that start? Oh, the that's painting. Been, I've been painting since I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And you do all your covers. Yeah. Mostly. Right. Usually, yeah. Pretty much. And so, like, so then, all right. So it didn't pan out as well as Virgin wanted it to. Yeah. And then you go to Universal. Then I went to Universal and. Um, yeah, then uh, honey, that was Honey in the Moon, which went on the OC, and that did okay. Yeah. It was a song I have called Honey in the Moon. Yeah. Um, and that was from Redemption Sun? Redemption Sun. How yeah. the record do in general? It did a little better, but still, you know, nothing that's going to, like, well, but, are, but are you really writing songs that, you know, are hook-laden and he? I mean, it seems like you were sort of a little... It wasn't even that you were... It's not even an alt sound. It's a very unique sound. Yeah. That 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 you know I I don't know I mean did you were you writing songs to be huge I mean in my mind I I like write what I like you yeah. know and so it's just That's I, all you can and do. I I like good songs and I like hits you know so I'm trying to write songs that are likable it's not you know but I'm also not like 
following a formula or something right. like that. I, I come, I'm coming from my own unconsciousness. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that. And record- Peter and Peter like specifically said that to me a few times, which was, don't go to them let them come to you well there is a dreamlike quality to some of it like especially on days of surrender which you did in your garage yeah without the help of mike yeah um was that <laughs> there there is a sort of frequency to it yeah that, that feels a little uh dreamy yeah like you know that i mean there, there it vibrates on that level somehow because i think that's what i engage with like yeah you know you like that dreamy level well, well i just like i i saw it as something unique right you know and i felt that's it cool. like i felt like you know like like this guy's is a, is a real thing. He's his own thing. Wow! Thank you so much. I that means a lot to me. Seriously. But then you go on. You go. You like from between Redemption Son and the Ballad of Boogie Christ, mm-hmm. which was some sort of mildly subverted personal story. Which oh yeah, <laughs> I like the way you said that. <laughs> mildly subverted personal story. Personal story. But I mean, you did like four records. Uh huh. Five records even. Yeah. You just keep. Pushing them I keep, out. I keep making records. I love making records. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't love showbiz so much. I mean, yeah. like, I'm mean, like, reaching to the choir. Yeah, but like this, this is nice. Yeah. I mean, this isn't well, but this isn't showbiz. But you know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, I but guess throughout these records, are you still working with Keltner? Like when you when you do sometimes, like, like a, our I shadows will remain. Fistful of mercy. Yeah. My band with Ben Harper and Danny Harrison. Jim played on that too. What was the arc of learning? You know, from you know through after universal where do you go um so okay that was uh who does our shadows will remain okay so our shadows will remain yeah it's interesting was this uh label called vector yeah and that's um and they're they're a huge management company still now um and they got me um onto this label in england called 14th floor records Uh uh-huh and 14th floor did was doing like david gray and Damien Rice mm-hmm. and selling like millions and so right. they were slotting me into that and I and and they geared it up they did do a really good job with our shadows will remain I sold out like Shepherd's Bush Empire over there like it, it was building and doing really well but then there was like something happened like the oh they were going to go with Honey in the Moon they were going to try to like repurpose an old song for yeah. a single they thought that was they were going to yeah. try to take it to the mountaintop you yeah know? didn't work yeah it, it didn't fly on radio and that and then all of a sudden that's it. It just starts. It, it's a fadeaway. But when you you see the fadeaway coming, and then you know it's there, and then it's like again, again, there's the fadeaway. Okay, and that's when you got your own label going or your own outlet. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't mean to be so vague about that. I just don't know what it, that even means. It's like yeah, maybe you, I don't either. Yeah, like I don't like a label now. But you started self producing. Yeah, so or just being able like getting distribution. Right you know right but i mean even that my own label was through megaforce which is a big huge label you know so that's why i always go like do i have my own label uh kind of you know well it sounds like you've got a lot of support through musicians and some producers like are you self-producing like who produced a nuclear daydream um i think yeah i did yeah yeah and you know you just sort of took hold of that shit. Yeah, and then yeah. that was yeah because that's when the the our shadows will remain fade started happening. Yeah, and I had nuclear daydream. When I review my history, I look at the albums I followed up, like getting a little bit of vibe going. Yeah, and go okay, did I let myself down? And I really don't feel like I did. Like I feel like no, that record stands too. Like yeah. You know, it's just that I don't really follow a particular sound or style. I think a lot of people, like, to me, 
styles of music are kind of like the outfit you're wearing versus the outfit I'm wearing or something or just I like, guess you know, but it, I hear you throughout like if oh, I got poke okay. around okay cool like, I'm not, I don't listen to something you've done if I'm you know flipping around from and different go, years this, and go yeah. like who's this guy yeah it I mean, holds together I, guess. I think so the tone yeah. of the, your songwriting and the way you sing and certainly some of the instrumentation right it's not like all of a sudden you're doing a fusion record right that's next <laughs> getting back to fusion <laughs> just, it's time it's just me on the cover it's called just japing around <laughs> last back, slap bass back covers just a big thing of my thumb hitting a bass string yeah <laughs> but like talk tell me about the process of um of, of making uh, the ballad of boogie cries because that sounds huh. interesting yeah that that was a long that was word first i normally wrote songs like days of surrender for instance yeah. is music for is all mel melodically driven right. it's all just like so i'm just making up words to fit into the melodies you know uh-huh and with Boogie Christ, I had like words first, so, which is why you got this story arc. In a kinda, way. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that that's it with that. And then, I mean, that just took years and years to make. Just like, but you let it. Go. You think know, you work on it for a while, and then you like walk away and do other things, and then you work on it. Again. How'd you fund it? Oh, through uh, Pledge Music, and that was before Kickstarter. That was after Kickstarter, but yeah, Pledge Music and. Yeah, that that really worked out pretty well for us. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It's, gotta, it's a lot of work. I mean, it, the thing is that it's perceived as like this, uh, you know, you, you're kind of your hands outreached, which, yeah. which I guess it is. But in the end, you're you're really just selling your stuff. It's like a fire sale for your merch right. store, I guess. Yeah, on yeah. Some, on some level, I yeah. Mean, you know. But you got enough bread together, and you got good players on that thing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you work with Garth Hudson. Garth Hudson came. I, I mean, it was gonna originally just be like, yeah, just me and Garth on, uh, on one of the big sounding organs. Well, there's this studio called Old Soul. Yeah, in uh, upstate New York, and Garth lives there. Yeah, and uh, not at the studio, but so and Garth would come and um, Garth would come by around like midnight. Mm -hmm. He he works late, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and just. He talk about a magical being, you know, and just he's like kind of leans like this and, yeah. and just starts doing things. And it's just like playing a Casio keyboard up here that's just got little mini keys. Yeah. And he's somehow like playing something amazing and then playing a grand piano with, you yeah. know, at, uh, with the other hand, uh -huh. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, that's and it's cool just, to work with that guy. Huh? Yeah. That was unbelievable. It really was. And he doesn't say much in between, but then he listens and he makes sure you uh, race things he doesn't like oh yeah because he doesn't want them getting out there yeah 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 yeah, yeah. We're controlling the you know, yeah yeah doesn't want no uh, jape out there didn't want the jape <laughs> man <laughs> this jape word landed for you this is yeah. gonna well you pushed it you're you gonna, sold it this to is me gonna, you're gonna use jape so did you like tell me about like it, it was sort of like there i read some stuff on you and it, it seemed like sort of a uh, an ironic uh -oh. An ironic, but <laughs> I read of, some stuff on you. But it was sort of touching to me that, like, you did, you got a Grammy nomination for a cover. Oh God, you love it! <laughs> like I'm like this guy's been working his whole life I, I, on his you know, music. You know what? I'm glad. I'm what? glad you see the humor in it because that's the big, that's the if that's how you survive it. Yeah, you know, is it's funny as hell. It really is. You know, I yeah. think I. You know, which cover was it? A, va a called vacancy. Yeah. How many years in for vacant? Like when you do vacancy? That was still early days. Oh. so that was like you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that wasn't that has, wasn't quite as hysterical as it's becoming. Right. Oh, it's an EP too. <laughs> yeah, and it's an EP. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. You got a little attention from the industry. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Do you ever do art for other people? I've been asked a couple times. Yeah. I haven't really done it much, but but you do a lot of painting, there, and you if you sold paint your paintings. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I sell. I mean, I uh, I paint all the time and do art shows and stuff like that. That really helps me. You have a gallery. Keep the living going too. Um, or do you I, just sell them online? I used to have a gallery called Museum of Modern Arthur. Yeah. I opened up in Dumbo, Brooklyn. Oh yeah. Yeah. For like three years, we had like events, and it was pretty fun. Did it work out? It did to the, you know, I didn't get rich, but yeah. I mean, it depends on your definition was of working out. Was it a scene? Out. It was a little bit of a scene. It was fun. Oh, good. Yeah. And I, I, they just sent me today, this morning, your book of poetry, so you got that. Yeah, I write poems and post them. But do you write them to, not to be songs, but just to be poems? I write a lot, so, you know, and then I just post them and... You know, I don't know. Some of them, I think, are yeah, you know, they're, they're as cheesy as they want to be. You know, just putting and, shit out in the world, man. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. It's like I'm, I'm dri driven to do it. But this new album, you know? the new album, family again, is another uh, album that sort of explores you know themes throughout characters, right? And um, it, this does sound a little different to me, right? In that well, you know, well, I mean, if it, the the piano is very prominent, I wrote it all on piano. I got this Steinway uh, Vertigran from 1912. Uh huh. It was in one family. It came from Connecticut, and it was uh, I think I got it for like sixteen hundred bucks. In uh -huh. fact, you, you know, that's something you could because you don't need a huge space at all for it. I mean, yeah. a, a Vertigran. Um, it's a well, it's a upright piano. Yeah. But yeah, you can get them pretty inexpensively, and this one is ma like magical. And so I just yeah, I started writing songs on it, and it, did you was it based on the piano? It was all based. It like wasn't that, based that it on, was with one family. Did no, was there a root to the, the no, story? Was at, the root to the story was I was with this girl who was uh, on speed, and her husband or her ex husband kept calling her and was like um, upset about her not taking care of the kids. And she was telling me about that, and then I was identifying with him, thinking like, and then when I went home, I started writing a song from his perspective to her, you know, and that was called, that's called You Wear Me Out on mm -hmm. The Family. Mm -hmm. And that was the seed of the whole record. And then from there, I just decided, okay, I could write a whole album on p just family dynamics. Yeah. And so I started... Um, talking to my own, like my my own family about their hi histories and stuff, and I started like using aspects of my grandparents and and just a way to explore my own sort of family history as well. But even though it's not about my my, was it cathartic for you? I think all creative acts are cathartic. Yeah, you know? like uh, there is some sort of catharsis there. I mean, I I think like you know we're we have we're given all this energy to do something with and it, and. If I don't do something creative with mine, I do something destructive, you know? So yeah. I, so I, I'm like, I'm not so results based. That's maybe one of the well, problems. You, you, but, but it sounds like on some level you, you create to save your life. That's why I do it. <laughs> That's why I don't have a problem with whatever the universe wants, wherever the universe wants to put me in that mix is yeah. cool with me because I, for me, the, it sounds cheesy, but it's really true. The reward is in doing it. Yeah. You know, I just like doing it. You know, and and how much did you we, did you spend a lot of time with Lou? You know, uh, were you around I, when he was I, sick? I spent, I did, I did see him a lot. You know, for yeah. a time there. You know, yeah. Um, um, did you learn from him? I did. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to put into words exactly. You know, 
because I learned from his music so much before, yeah. you know. But yeah. Uh, yeah, just with him, I just you know just loved him as a person, you yeah. know, and tried and and tried to not ask too many, you know, it, like questions about certain, like tried to not be a fan, and I, I kind of wish in a way that I asked, I had been more of a fan or more asked more, just like. Like you know the you know, fan question. Hey, what's you know that Coney the guitar sound on Coney Island Baby? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but I did text him once that Coney Island Baby is the best song that yeah. anyone's ever written. Yeah, and you know, and he handled it very graciously. I then I immediately said, "Oh, sorry to fan out." And he he wrote something nice back. Like, oh, he did. Yeah, he wrote something very nice back. You know, so he was a nice guy. Yeah. That's the thing. He yeah. was really. Inside, he was a very nice guy. I yeah. mean, and outside, but like, you know what I mean? He has the. Sure. Well, I mean, like anybody else, you know, you don't know who they are until they yeah. let you in. Yeah. And if they let you in, yeah. then you know. Yeah. And if they know that you already know, they usually let you in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? I think that's uh, I think that's true. Um, and you, what what did your folks do when you were growing up? My dad was. Um, well, he was building truck tires, and he worked for the government, and he put himself through law school. Oh, yeah? And then he became a lawyer, and he also built, like, houses. I mean, he worked really, really hard. Is I he mean, still around? Still around, yeah. And, they, you know, he's like, yeah, like, uh, sort of... I don't know what you, what um, strata you would put us in. Well, I Lower, mean... Lower, middle class, no, middle I mean, class, like, I don't know. How does he feel about you? Um, well, that's probably complicated, but, uh, but I mean, like, you, you know, mean, is he proud? Does he like your work? Does he, I think so. Oh, that's good. I think so. Yeah. We have a good, I, I feel like my family relationship is, is good. You know, good. I mean, there's I, like, there's, you know, we're a dramatic bunch. I mean, we, you know, we're crazy. But usually opinion. they just want to know you're okay. And they, yeah. I think they really care about me. They really love yeah. me and I really love them and care about them too. You know, and your mom's so. all right. And my mom's really good. Yeah. Yeah, Good. they're together still. Uh, uh, up in Ohio? Yeah, in Akron. They still live in the house uh, oh, yeah? that I grew up in. Yeah. So you, you go back there I sometimes? go back. I sleep in my childhood uh, bedroom, but now it looks like a Pier 1 Imports instead of the cool bedroom I left it. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix posters on the wall. <laughs> Where'd they put the posters, man? Where are the yeah. posters, man? Yeah. You want to play a song? Sure. On um, my guitar? Why not? Is that in tune? drunk, I miss the fiend, I miss the simplicity of addiction in the scene, I miss wandering aimlessly in half-dead sewers with rats for eyes, chewing on forgiveness and the will to apologize, I miss the return and no return as I burn an avalanche as a white snow and yellow cocaine, I miss talking to brick walls while following the grain, and human dolls as I plagiarize myself like a dummy, stuff with counterfeit money for Cairo and black honey. I miss illusions begging to be chased Even as they disappear into me erased Until there is no one or nothing but the chase And a powdery ghost with no face or faith And the woman of my dreams Disappearing without grace I miss the zoo I miss the zoo I miss the zoo 
evolving into a cloud of blue marijuana Blown from the lips of hookers and pimps As they shake each other down in the alleys for the damn but mighty No one but the weak around and the beautiful unsightly I miss numb Neanderthals marching in rows of living dead From my wisdom teeth to Spain and back again in my head I miss salvation in syringes and angels of mercy And blooms of smoke numbing rain which drinks when thirsty I miss glasses full of spirits without tongues Speak to me of Napoleon's wild nights I miss staying up for days and becoming a psychic pretzel flying kites Shoot on by a Zulu heading with toads to Mars A mysterious prison and one without bars At least those kind of bars I miss the zoo I miss the zoo I miss the zoo Waking in the arms of strangers like puppies just born in the pound To a dead mother with eyes sealed shut Looking for a tit to suck in other dangers When the night before laughter was our only pursuit Even as knives carved up our backs And demons sat like Buddhas eating fruit Meditating on hate forever in our minds I miss exposing even my bones and the need that rewinds Even my burning home, even my gutted inner child Even my dead grandfather beneath the ground that's wild Even my criminal family, even my weed whacker thoughts Whipping a thin plastic string to cut the ears off others as I sing I miss Van Gogh's revenge, I miss his nightly binge I miss spiders surrounding my bed and lifting me as if an effigy Or a dead king, a prophet of doom a Jesus for the apocalypse wearing dirt like perfume Or a mother for Satan or a ghost for all the children of abuse Take me into the fire, watch me burn like a goose As they sing in spider voices, there goes creation, there goes the moon There goes the butterfly wanting a cocoon I miss being a bloom and a goon, waking up too soon in the afternoon That was great, man. Thanks. They got it. I love it, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's great talking to you. You too, Mark. I really, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, I think what you do is wonderful, and um, thank you for doing it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I like talking to you. Thank you, Mark. Nice, right? I like when people play in here. So I'm going to leave it at that. I, I guess I won't be playing because we just had a guy play and sing, right? WTFPod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Posters, t-shirts, tour dates, blog, podcast. Whew. Yeah. I'm sweating. Boomer lives! Boomer lives!